Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we have a little weekend news dump here. We have a couple of news items to get into. For one, the trade deadline. We didn't really go over it on deadline day because the deal was so inconsequential. And Gavin, there's another bit of news that is broken uh, today. Yeah, uh, even even less encouraging, or I would say far less encouraging than the quiet deadline for the Knicks. Uh, seems like Kenny Payne might just be leaving the Knicks and headed to Chicago to be the head coach at DePaul. We'll, we'll give you the latest on that. And then we'll finish up uh, grading um, our favorite deadline moves and least favorite deadline moves around the league. All that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here. I am the editor in chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at the Strick.land. He's Gavin Shaw, play by play announcer and podcaster. Obviously, here we are on a podcast and Gavin there was a uh, a single move which I mean I literally I don't even think they wound up running the video we do the little locked on now videos um, to you know get into breaking news or, or you know immediate game reactions and stuff like that for the locked on NBA channel and I don't even think it ended up getting used because this deal felt like it was going to be a piece to something bigger uh, the Knicks traded for Terrence Ferguson on deadline day uh, turned out being the only deal that they made. It sort of, kind of, sort of helped facilitate the the move to get George Hill to Philly, um, and you know the Knicks ended up with Terrence Ferguson, Vincent Poirier, the Sixers second round pick for this year, which in its own special way sort of replaces the pick that they got for Derrick Rose, I guess, uh, or that they traded for Derrick Rose. I mean, and then uh, uh, they get. The Miami Heat's 2024 second round pick, but it's protected like picks 31 to 55 or something. So extremely unlikely that they're going to get that. That's uh, kind of just a, a dummy part to the transaction. I think that was like the, the part that was going from OKC to the Knicks to satisfy league requirements or whatever. Um, but yeah, so it pretty interesting little uh deal there i guess really the knicks only walk out with ferguson because it was reported almost immediately after that they're gonna waive poirier uh there was also the the fact that that creates a roster spot potentially for one andre drummond which we'll get into in the next segment but um i don't really have any strong takes on ferguson you know he's a he's a freak athlete he's in the fourth year of his rookie deal uh, his highest three-point shooting season, he did shoot 36.6% for Oklahoma City in 2018-19. Um, played like 26 minutes per game for them. He's barely played for Philly this year, which is 
understandable because they're a contender. He's, you know, not a contending sort of player. But the Knicks have enough depth and everything that I don't feel super confident that he's going to really play for the Knicks either. I think he's just kind of here as a, I don't know, maybe if he works out sort of guy, but I, I don't really see it working out that way. Maybe they had interest in him as a restricted free agent this coming uh, summer or just if he got his rights renounced or something and they, you know, they just wanted to have the inside track to sign him for a cheap deal and try to develop him since he's only 22 years old. But Gavin, what's your, I mean, what was your take on this deal? You were probably, I think you were doing the live show during this deal, right? So you probably got to see this happen in real time. Yeah. I don't know if for anyone who wants to go back and watch, I, I, I broke down at the idea of, of losing, losing Iggy Brozdakis. And that was, that was my chief reaction. And then <laughs> I didn't, I, I, I don't know. Terrence Ferguson doesn't really move the needle for me. He looked, he looked pretty promising early in his career in Oklahoma city, just in that he was getting minutes as I think a 19 year old or a 20 year old, his first year in Oklahoma city, I think was even starting for like pretty significant stretches as soon as his second year. Uh, but now he's, again, he's pretty much completely out of the rotation on a team that um, has been surprisingly competent, but on paper doesn't have a lot of frontline talent or at least a lot of experience. Frontline talents, I think, I think that tells you everything you need to know. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how long he's going to be on the Knicks. I, I don't think he really ever plays minutes for the Knicks except in a major, major blowout. But who knows? Maybe, maybe he surprises us. Uh, Alex, um, unless you had any final thoughts on that, I think, I think I'm going to move on to the Kenny Payne news. Yeah, let's go to the Kenny Payne news. You want me to read the tweet real quick? No, I, I, I got it right here. I can do it. Okay. Yeah, it's from, it's from Lawrence Kramer, who, um, to be clear, not, not a professional reporter, um, is the sports editor um, at uh, DePaulius, which I think is their campus newspaper, I would assume. Um, so I guess take this with the with a small grain of salt, or I don't know. Student reporting is sometimes very, very good. So I would I, I would tend to believe it. Um, and it's also been, um, if not confirmed, um, like, People like Steve Popper have, have retweeted it and to be taken seriously. So there's there's certainly some smoke there. We've heard from other outlets, obviously, that Kenny Paul's been interviewing. Anyways, the actual tweet. Breaking. DePaul President Esteban, Chief of Staff Steve Stout, apparently a different Steve Stout, or he's working a night job, and AD Dwayne Peavy met with Kenny Payne in Milwaukee last night. DePaul is looking to hire Payne as its men's basketball head coach, but are working out logistics with the Knicks, a source confirmed to the DePaulia. So it seems like Kenny Payne is is uh, one and one and done with, with the New York Knicks. Uh, the irony, I'm sure, is not lost on him. Um, and it, this is this is interesting. We had this we had this come up in our uh, Fan Friday the other week, and and I was I, I was kind of saying like I wouldn't I wouldn't dismiss this out of hand, and like obviously like on paper like being a lead assistant or second lead assistant with the Knicks. Maybe a better job than DePaul, but DePaul's also been considered something of a sleeping giant in the college basketball world for a long time. And Chicago is obviously one of the great basketball hotbeds in the country. You have a guy like uh, Kenny Payne, who has a pretty incredible track record of both recruiting and development. It, it, it makes sense, Alex, that he could see himself having a lot of success there and then maybe using that as a springboard to bigger, or, uh, bigger and better things um, when being an assistant for the Knicks. You can you can certainly argue the same, but the track record of, uh, of black head coaches, or, or rather black assistant coaches, being hired as like eventually head coaches in the NBA. I mean, we, we've seen it year after year now. It's it's like I, it's it's horrible, but it's it's by and large been non-existent. Or, or like a lot of guys who, who teams universally feel like deserve a chance, like David Vanderpool in, in Minnesota. 
not getting that opportunity. So maybe he, he like he's looking at this and saying, I want to eventually be a head coach. I want to either do it at a big college basketball program or maybe in the NBA one day. But my best path to get there is being a head coach who's being an assistant. It's great. It's exciting. You get paid a lot. Maybe you, you eventually win a title. Um, but it's not necessarily an avenue for advancement. That again, all of that is total speculation on my part. I, I don't really know Kenny Payne. I don't know what his end game is. But to me, him taking this job is is what that would indicate. Yeah, I have a couple takes on this as well, Gavin. But first, uh, do you want to let people know where they can bet on the odds that Kenny Payne takes this job? I, I would I would love to. Um, and, and they have, they have odds and props and almost anything. So I would just, I would assume that's on there. It's bet online. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code locked on. That's very important. Use that promo code. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, and we're back. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. So, Gavin, I, I sent us to the break saying I had some sort of takes on this Kenny Payne situation. It's not anything too different than what than what you were saying, I think basically what what it boils down to, I mean, every coach, I feel like, maybe I shouldn't say every, but most coaches probably when they get into the profession have the ultimate end game of being a head coach as their, you know, their, their ideal outcome for what could happen in their career. So I don't think that Kenny Payne's any different. You know, I think that he probably, you know, took this job with the Knicks thinking, okay, well, I've been with John Calipari with Kentucky for so many years. Um, you know, I, I have built up a good resume. Like clearly he had a, you know, a Rolodex of every like Kentucky big man in the NBA w- would speak super highly of him. And even the guards and everything else, even though he wasn't like the guards coach there would speak highly of him and his development uh, tactics and everything else. So he already had that going for him and yet still couldn't get that like next level job, presumably, you know, with just being the assistant at Kentucky. So I think that I, I think what it seems like now, and I mean, there's nothing wrong with this. It would be like, like if you or I did anything to build up our resume, you know, sometimes you take a job just because, you know, it's going to be a resume builder um, and, you know, give you some skills and and something to put on your resume that wasn't there previously that could help you get to where you want to get eventually. And I think this next job was sort of that. And it certainly helps him that, you know, he went from Kentucky, which was such a great program. Kentucky has a down year this year, uh, you know, and and doesn't play as well without him being there at John Calipari's side. And then he goes to the Knicks and Julius Randle goes from spinning turnover machine into NBA All-Star. Mitchell Robinson and Nerlens Noel are anchoring a top three defense in the NBA. You know, Obi Toppin is still TBD, but, you know, by and large, I'd say that his his track record so far this year has been pretty great. So, and, and you know, he even draws praise from, like, Emmanuel Quickly and, and guys like that, too. Granted, you know, he and Quickly were both at Kentucky last year, so that probably has something to do with it. But at any rate, like, you know, Payne is, has done a lot for himself this year as far as, 
building up his rep. And there were so many great pieces written, you know, about this new coaching staff the Knicks had. And we even saw, you know, uh, Mike Woodson interviewed with uh, Indiana for their head coaching job, which I, I think that's the one that's been the most silent as far as whether he's still involved uh, in talks for, for that job or not. But, you know, he interviewed for that job. Johnny Bryant, who, you know, the Knicks brought in as their sort of, like if, if Kenny Payne's the bigs coach, Johnny Bryant's like the guards coach. He interviewed for the University of Utah job. He's apparently out of the running for that at this point. But, you know, he drew some attention that way. And he's also super young. So you got to figure he's going to get another another look at some point sooner than later because he's he's a real rising star. I think he's only 36 years old. Um, and then, uh, of course, you have Kenny Payne now who interviewed with DePaul. Seemed like maybe it would just be a, uh, a courtesy interview of sorts. But now it seems like that's legitimately where he wants to go. And, you know, it is a program that has had some success in the past. I, I had wondered if maybe this was just sort of his first way to get his name out there to then maybe interview for a bigger job down the line. But it seems like he's legitimately interested in this DePaul program. Might have something to do with the familiarity there. Their new AD, uh, I believe it's the AD, is uh, a former University of Kentucky person. So maybe just the familiarity of like, okay, I'd be working with someone I know here. I get I get a long leash to do this my way and build the program how I want is what lured him in. But I'm uh, I'm interested to see how it goes for him if he does end up taking the job. You know, I'll be rooting for him. But as a Knicks fan, I'll be really sad because, you know, I can't help but think about how many other bigs the Knicks could bring on in the coming years that he could morph into, you know, potential all-star types like he did with Julius Randle. So. It's uh, it's sort of bittersweet because I, I feel good for him because I like him and I love what he's done for the team this year. But I uh, I would definitely like to see him stick around longer if possible. Is, is one of those potential bigs Andre Drummond, Alex? Oh, that's a good point. Uh, maybe to get back into post trade deadline news, I guess uh, there was some reporting from Kevin O'Connor late in the process that the Knicks were. You know, apparently super interested in trading for Andre Drummond. I think it's pretty obvious now that was an agent favor or something because there was clearly no market for Andre Drummond. He didn't get moved. And even last year when he did get moved with, you know, uh, the amount of time left on his contract and everything that he did, he still fetched it, you know, only a second rounder last year, basically. So, uh, yeah, they, they might be in on him in the buyout market, apparently, though. Pretty much every reporter has, has said it that the Knicks have at least some interest in Drummond and they have a leg up in the money department because that cap space that the Knicks still have the, I think they're sitting at somewhere around like $14 million. They can, I mean, they can offer Andre Drummond like a bloated one year deal for him to essentially double dip this year, make like whatever it was off of his previous contract. I think he made about 20 million uh, that he got bought out from and then also make another 14 million on top of that. I don't know. That's pretty hard to say no to. They could also offer him a multi-year deal and say, we'll give you a 14, you know, 14 million over three years or something, you know, like a, like a three year, almost $45 million contract or even up to four years. And uh, yeah, I, you know, Stefan Bondi has reported it. Mark Berman's reported it. Ian Begley's reported it. I think Steve Popper might've also had uh, a report on it. So Clearly a lot of smoke there, but he's also looking at Brooklyn and L.A. Uh, as potential landing spots with L.A., I guess, being the the front runner there. The Lakers, I should say, not the Clippers. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know for sure if he's going to come to the Knicks. 
I don't know for sure that I would want him to come to the Knicks, Gavin. I, you know, I, I don't know if we've really discussed this too much, but I've, I've certainly talked about it privately. I'm, I'm maybe a little less against the idea than most people, but I'm also not totally for the idea. I don't know. I think if, I think if you could talk him into coming off the bench behind Mitchell Robinson, then it would actually be a really great fit because I think that he gives you more than he's given credit for on defense, but then the rebounding, the passing, everything would be really useful in that second unit, I think. Um, whereas, you know, if you bring him in to start over Mitchell Robinson, I don't know that I love it as much because his finishing around the rim really isn't that great. Granted, some of it might be situational and stuff, like based off the fact that he's been given like the okay to just like go crazy and ISO and all this other crap. Um, he wouldn't get that on the Knicks. He would, he would play a more structured role, I think. But yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I can't really get behind it if the plan is to pay him a bunch of money and have him start over Mitchell Robinson or potentially have this be the thing that is where you let Mitchell Robinson walk or something. Like I, I definitely could not get behind that. So I guess we'll just have to see how the situation develops. But what are your thoughts on the whole Drummond thing? Yeah, I just I, I don't think I don't think it makes a ton of sense. I'll, I'll read out a great tweet from Jack Huntley, a former multi-time guest on this podcast that I totally agreed with. He said, "I'll say this and run Reed Drummond. I prefer him to Noel as a two-way backup five to Mitch. The problem is his perception of his value and his perception of his role. So, and I think that's that's essentially the case you were making, Alex. Like from a talent perspective, you." You'd put him ahead of Noel. You would, I mean, heck, you'd probably say, like, he's, I mean, at this point, he's probably a better player than Mitch, even if Mitch is, I would say, significantly better defensively. It's, it's more so, um, like, is he okay with the role you're going to give him? And, and, and when I say he's probably better than Mitch, I should say he's probably better than Mitch if he was willing to play the same role that Mitch has played all year, which is protect the rim, run hard to the basket, gobble up offensive rebounds, um, and just generally be like the best version possible of, of a complimentary big man. And he, that's never, that's never how he's seen himself. Like I, I saw a tweet today talking about his, um, like some quotes he had coming out of UConn where people were comparing him to Dwight Howard. And he was saying, nah, 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 I want to, I want to be Kevin Durant basically. And, and obviously that I, I know there were, there have been like sort of similar to Mitch. <laughs> there have been years and years of off season videos of him shooting threes. And there were different points in his time on the Pistons where he experimented with shooting from distance. Um, but he's, he's obviously he's never turned into that guy. But now he has some of the same issues that someone like Dwight has, like where he he kind of wants the ball all the time, wants to post up a ton. And what his greatest still in the NBA by far is is as a rebounder, first of all, and, and then just um, finishing around the basket, even even if that's a little bit down this year. Um, that's that's what he does well. He's, he's, a, he's a giant guy who's, who's a great athlete. That's... That's kind of what's what's always made him, um, if not an actual star in the NBA, a statistical star in the NBA. So clearly, you like that guy over Noel, um, even with everything Noel provides defensively, just because he has much better hands. He is he is a better finisher, even though Noel's a pretty good finisher. I would I, I would just give Drummond just because of his size, probably the edge there. Um, but he has to he has to be okay playing that role because I think we're both in agreement. Even even if he'd put up better numbers than Mitch on offense. And there were things, there'd be things offensively that he does better than Mitch. Um, I, I just, one, I don't see him tolerating like the amount of touches Mitch is get, gets because right now, I think frankly, like the amount of touches Mitch gets is inexcusable in and of itself. Like where he's, he's constantly looked off. Like last game he had 
He had a switch where Garrison Matthews was on him in the post and no one threw him the ball. Like Drummond is going to flip out if, if that happens. Um, I, I just, I, I don't really see it with Randall either just because he's going to want post-ups and that's going to take away what Randall does going towards the basket and, and just with the Knicks' general lack of shooting. Um, I, I think it would make sense with their second unit. I don't think it makes sense with their starting lineup. The idea that they would commit money to him over Mitch, like a guy who's younger, homegrown, homegrown and I, again, I know I've said it three times, but defensively just a better player. Um, I, I just, I ultimately don't think it makes sense. Though I have a feeling he's going to end up on the Lakers, or we've heard uh, Boston is, is a little bit of a dark horse with him. But anyways, Alex, um, if people want to get big and strong like Andre Drummond, is there, I don't know, is there some kind of bar or something they could eat? Yeah, well, if there is one thing that Andre Drummond is, it is big and strong. And yeah, if you want to end up, you know, six foot eleven, I don't know, two hundred and seventy pounds, whatever Drummond is, uh, you can check out some Built Bars. And we have been telling you about Built Bars for a while. The best tasting protein bar on the market. Built Bar is the amazing, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, fantastic tasting protein bar with one hundred percent natural chocolate on all their bars. And now is the time to find out which bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. So no matchups over the weekend, but yesterday's was Cookie Dough Chunk versus Birthday Cake. Cookie Dough Chunk came out on top. I had said before, no real horse in that race, you know. I think Cookie Dough Chunk is is very good. Birthday Cake is also really good. So, you know, no matter who won there, we all win because they're both fantastic flavors. The big upset for me was Mint Brownie over Coconut Puff. Clearly, Mint Brownie's got a big... Uh, you know, a big following here. I think that really kind of screwed my bracket up a little bit going into the flavorful four. And now our final matchup, which will be coming up on Monday to set the flavorful four field. I don't know why they, they called it that. It's so hard to say flavorful four that many times in a row is coconut brownie chunk versus caramel brownie. It's got to be coconut brownie chunk here. Probably the best flavor in the whole Bill Bar lineup. So get out there and vote for that on Monday. And then we'll have our, our flavorful four set up, which would be cookies and cream versus cookie dough chunk, mint brownie versus coconut brownie chunk, as long as coconut brownie chunk wins. My pick would be cookies and cream versus coconut brownie chunk in the championship. But we'll see how that all goes uh, over the next week here. But if you want to vote on these fantastic matchups, go to builtbar.com or to at bar underscore built on Twitter to check out the day's matchup and place your votes. And if you decide to pick up maybe a flavorful four box of the, you know, the consensus four best flavors in the Built Bar lineup, head to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com and check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best tasting protein bar. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast, scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Subscribe today and follow Locked On NBA Draft. I'm excited about the draft. You're excited about the draft, Alex, but right now we just culminated trade season. Um up to you. Do you want to you want to throw me one of your your favorite moves uh, from this deadline, Alex, or, or or maybe even your least favorite move from this deadline? Yeah, I'll throw out my least favorite one first. I think uh, the Victor Oladipo trade easily the worst trade of the deadline to me, mostly because of what it meant for the trade that preceded it. 
So obviously Victor Oladipo came to Houston as part of the the James Harden package. And I think that they vastly overestimated what he would be worth. Like, I think that they thought that, oh, this is going to be easy money. Like, we'll bring in Oladipo. We'll let him play for us for a few weeks and be, like, featured. And then we'll just flip him again and get, like, another first-round pick to add to the, the James Harden trade, essentially. And what they end up getting is Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and a draft pick swap for this year, if I'm not mistaken, which is utterly useless because Houston is horrible and Miami is, is going to be in the playoffs now. Like you basically just handed them guaranteed. Like you guys are not missing the playoffs now, even though things were a little rocky to start with injuries and everything else they're, they're locked in now. Uh, so really essentially what it comes down to is that the, the Rockets could have had Karis Levert and Jared Allen, but instead rerouted those guys during the Harden deal, which I think, I think rerouting Allen wound up getting them an extra first round pick, but it's like the Pacers first round pick or it was, or someone, you know, not as a, not as good first round pick in, in theory. So they got a first round pick for Allen and then rerouted Levert to get Oladipo. And so essentially you took what could have been Jared Allen and Karis Levert, which Allen has been playing great for Cleveland and Levert, you know, was playing great for the Nets. Now has been, you know, sitting out while he deals with the health issue that was uncovered by his physical. But, you know, he's on a somewhat affordable contract for a pretty efficient score and everything else that he, and, you know, playmaking and everything else that he brings to the court. You know, instead you get Avery Bradley and Kelly Olynyk and the right to swap first round picks with the Heat and a low first round pick. So I think it just, speaks to how bad that front office handled that James Harden trade. You know, they obviously, they, they came away with their uh, ultimate prize, I guess, of all the first round picks and swaps from the nets, but the moves they made around the margins were not smart. And I think they were, I think they were kind of like too thirsty for picks to the point that it cost them two really talented players that would have been great for this rebuild that they're trying to get together. Uh, So I think, I think the Rockets bungled that, and that was that was easily my worst deal of all of them. I think. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna go over to my best deal. I really like Portland uh, going out and getting Norman Powell. I actually think that's a pretty good trade for both teams because Toronto, you get a little bit younger. They probably weren't gonna re-sign Powell anyways, um, and now they can um, hopefully retain Gary Trent and, and maybe get an upgrade defensively and really really high level three point shooter. For a young player who, who, if you look at like his age trajectory, is is maybe is maybe on a path to to be a better player than Norman Powell, certainly or Norman Powell rather, uh, certainly a better player now than Powell was at the same age. But for Portland, they they were desperate to win now, right? They kind of went all in on the season. Their off season moves were eh, kind of kind of a mixed bag, like sort of worked out, sort of didn't, um, and no real game changers in their in their acquisitions outside of maybe. Robert Covington, but Powell gives them that quintessential third scorer they've been looking for forever behind uh, Damon CJ. And I mean, that's like, does another team in the NBA have three shooters better than those three? I mean, maybe the Nets with Harden, Kyrie, and KD, but the list is the list is really, really short. It, it kind of moves Portland um, up the ladder in the Western Conference to maybe 
Um, I mean, you could even say between like Dallas and, and Denver upgrading in Portland, like there are seven legit contenders to come out of the Western Conference. I put Portland near the bottom of that list, but I just don't think they were in the mix before that trade. And I think Powell, who like quietly has been one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA this year, over 50% from the field, 44% from three, near 90% from the foul line. Um, he, he, he is a game changer for them ultimately. All right, Alex, what was, what was your best move of the deadline? Uh, it's not one single trade, but I'm more going to like give it to a team. Uh, I think the magic were smart. You know, I think they, they made really good moves to set themselves up to potentially, you know, be ready to maybe compete for a playoff spot in like a couple years from now, but clearly it just, it didn't happen for them this year. Injuries, you know, bit them with Jonathan Isaac being out for the year, uh, Markel Fultz ending up you know, going out for the year very soon into the season. It just, you know, the stars didn't align for them to make that last push this year. They had their fun with, with Vucevic, you know, over these years and uh, Evan Fournier and that whole, you know, that whole core. But now there's like sort of, you know, they were sort of in one of those weird spots where there's like competing. I, I don't want to say competing agendas within the team. Cause I, I doubt that the players, it didn't sound like the players were really making a ton of noise about, you know, oh, we're not playing for anything this year, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I, I think that there was just sort of two different levels of player on the team. There was like promising young players that, you know, could be great within the next few years, including Isaac and and Fultz. And then there was players that are already really good, but not good enough to put you over the top, like uh, Nikola Vucevic, Alfred Gominu, Aaron Gordon, and Evan Fournier, all four of which they traded. And I just thought it was really smart to, you know, move off of them when they did and get the maximum return that they could. You know, Vucevic as a two-time All-Star, you know, coming off his second All-Star appearance, I think, you know, now is the time to move him because he's in his, you know, mid to late 20s. You know, let some other team cash in on his prime for two years or whatever, but don't catch yourself on the on the decline trying to trade him when he's, you know, 30 years old or whatever. So I thought that was smart. You know, they got Wendell Carter Jr., who despite injuries, I think could still be a, a decent young piece for them. Um, Otto Porter Jr.'s whatever, he was just for for salary filler. But then Chicago's first rounders in 2021 and 2023, I mean, it's not even guaranteed that Chicago's going to make the playoffs this year. I think they, they've done a pretty good job to position themselves for at least a play-in game, but I don't think they've guaranteed that they're not going to be in the lottery this year. So potentially, you know, Orlando just added a second lottery pick or a pick that's going to be just outside the lottery. Plus their 2023 pick, one to four protected. Uh, You know, I mean, again, there's no, there's no saying for certain that in 2023, the the Magic or, or sorry, the Bulls are going to be good. So the Magic could have themselves another lottery pick then as well. Uh, Then the Aaron Gordon trade, they get Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a first from that, from that deal. You know, RJ Hampton, still a lot to be decided with him because he's a rookie. Um, And the, you know, the extra first round pick, I think that's fine. Aaron Gordon's not a needle mover, you know, to the point that you were going to get much more than that. And then the only one that I would say that they maybe got below market value to a degree would be the Evan Fournier deal where they just get a couple second round picks. But Fournier is going to be a unrestricted free agent this year anyway. So it was going to be difficult for them to get too much more than that. But all in all, you know, you trade those three players plus, I guess, also Gary Clark and Alfred Aminu, and you come out with like 
Wendell Carter Jr., who's, you know, a, a good, intriguing young player. RJ Hampton, who's, you know, a guy with a lot of upside. Three extra first-round picks and two extra second-round picks. I, I think it was the perfect time for them to blow it up. So I, I very much like the Magic's moves at the deadline here. Interesting, Alex. Because I was actually going to say Orlando was um, not 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 their not not what they did overall. Because I actually I really like what they got back for Vucevic. But I I, I was going to pinpoint two of their moves as amongst my worst. I I think I think they could have they should have gotten back something definitive for Gordon. And it I, I just I, I don't love when teams like trade someone who's been integral to their franchise. I mean, you could you could kind of compare it to the Harden trade and, and don't get back one real piece. Like like who knows if this was on the table. Maybe Portland just preferred Norman Powell, but there were rumors that the Trailblazers wanted Gordon. If I if I were them, I'm saying let me let me get back Gary Trent for him, and that's that's kind of enough in and of itself. Versus like this versus like a late first round pick, uh, Harris, who's I mean I know he's I think his contract is done either this year or next year, but a little bit of an albatross on, on the amount of money he makes. And to me, it's it's a red flag whenever a team is willing to trade their like 19-year-old, at one point, super hype prospect in R.J. Hampton. I mean, that tells me that they've kind of seen enough and said, all right, maybe maybe this guy turns into a decent role player down the road. And obviously, I mean, we've seen guys like um, Chauncey Billups get dealt really early in their career and come back to bite teams. So not that there's no track record of, of teams being wrong on that, but for, for one like Denver that has such a good record of, of their own uh, player evaluation, um, to me that would be a little bit of a red flag if I was Orlando going and acquiring him. And then Fournier, I, I'm surprised they couldn't get a late first round pick from someone. I, I know the maybe the, the biggest takeaway there should be that um, I mean a lot of contending teams didn't have their first round pick to deal. But if if I'm Orlando, I'm kind of holding out like like the Celtics team that's so desperate for any kind of upgrade and, and clearly wasn't able to make it in, in any other capacity. I, I'm telling them, look, you can you can protect it um, for the lottery, but we, we we want your first round pick. If we're giving you Evan Fournier and, and two second round picks, I mean, it just it just doesn't really do anything for me. Like I, I would have been willing to walk away versus taking two second round picks for him. But anyways, Alex, I think that's um, unless you have a quick response, that might be a good note for us to wrap up on. Yeah, no, I don't really have too much more to add there. I think I'm fine with uh, wrapping up this episode and this trade deadline week of Locked On Knicks. We hope you guys all enjoyed the. The content, I think the pre-deadline stuff is a little more exciting than the post-deadline, although we got that fantastic win after the deadline, which was plenty exciting. Uh, but we will be back in your feeds on Monday with a recap of tonight's Milwaukee Bucks game and uh, with plenty more great content for next week and the rest of the season. So uh, stick around, keep your ears out, and we will bring that to you guys sooner than later. But until next time, this has been Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw and Locked on Knicks. Peace out.